So what's the big problem with wealth creation? How do people like us, who didn't inherit a boatload of money, who are investing and building wealth from our own blood, sweat and tears, how do we invest in a way that gives us remarkable results and become financially free before retirement age? I don't know about you, but I am sick of hearing from wealth gurus and experts who don't walk their own talk and prescribe strategies that are a one-size-fits-all approach. For self-made people like you and me, I'm here to tell you that you don't need to be superhuman or already wealthy to reach financial freedom earlier than 65. This is the Alternative Investing Podcast. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. I want to make today a very special episode. As I was kind of jotting out some notes for, you know, what I want to make sure I cover off, I realized that this is actually, although I'm going to turn it into an analysis from a case study point of view, a super, super important episode from the viewpoint of expressing the fundamental philosophy and principles that that I believe astute investors should adhere to. So I want to tell you about a client who started with me not that long ago, a few months ago, but who has taken bold, massive action to change his financial future. I would say that most people are actually fairly fearful of change and they resist bold action. But this is really the story of someone who did the complete opposite. And this particular individual put everything on the line because they wanted to design the life they wanted. I remember years ago, a really great mentor of mine, someone whom I still deeply respect, was trying to help me through a difficult situation. And difficult in the sense that, you know, I was at a certain point in my wealth building and I felt that where I wanted to go was completely in a different direction. I had um, responsibilities around business. I had work that I was doing that was, you know, stressful. There was a whole lot of a real cocktail of things that made me feel quite stuck and The metaphor that he shared with me, which I have to say has continued to bring me great comfort over the years, is that we have to think about our wealth building a little bit like turning a ship. And um, obviously, we're we're not trying to turn things around necessarily. But if you ever watch a very large ship on the ocean try to change direction, it just happens incredibly slowly. You know, you've got the resistance of large waves and water. You don't necessarily have an ability to put down an anchor. And so you really are very, very slowly turning the ship in the opposite direction. And I think wealth building is the same. I think there's a lot of people expressing frustration about how slow wealth building is, that it isn't a nice, smooth, straight line, that it's challenging to set aside capital, that it's hard to find great investments that take you in the direction that you want. So there's all that challenge. But I think if you can embrace this metaphor of the the ship that is turning, I think, you know, that can help you understand that sometimes worthwhile things do take time. And if I kind of convert that back to the topic for today about bold actions and bold outcomes. I think the problem that a lot of investors have is that they do all the right things, but they find themselves in a situation where they are so heavily dependent on their active income. They have assets, they have investments that have given them, you know, in some cases, stellar, you know, capital growth, 
but they continue to be heavily dependent on that active income and they don't have enough passive income coming off those investments. And that leaves them in the position where they don't really have that freedom to choose the design side of their life. You know, leading on from that, a lot of investors talk about capital tied up in what I call big fat lazy pandas, meaning assets that, you know, they consume a lot of resources, time and energy, or they're big and they certainly are fat and cap, you know, they've got the capital in them, but they just aren't giving us what we want. I think the banks are becoming more hostile and less accommodating around supporting investors that want to grow their wealth through property investing or that want to grow their portfolio. And that's a tough thing for people, especially if they're in the earlier stages of their investing. If you can't get finance to grow your property portfolio, it's game over for you. So that's a definitely a deep frustration. And I think there's a lot of people out there who want to grow their net worth, but find that a lot of the investing options out there are too speculative on future growth. I know I've spoken to a lot of very intelligent people over the last 12 months and For some reason, this sticks out in my mind especially, but they are in a situation where they have the means, they have the borrowing capacity, but they look at the asset class around property and they just say no. And I find it curious because obviously for decades now, people have been super successful at growing wealth through real estate, through property, but there's an annoying feeling that the market is bloated and that they are now speculating on future growth in order to make more money. So I want to kind of set that as the tone for the background of this story. But let's get to the case study. So I'm going to call this guy Frank. Obviously, I do not want to reveal his real name. But Frank has a young family and he's had his family slightly later in life. And he's definitely got that maturity around looking for more balance. You know, he recognizes time is something that he cannot grow and that he cannot get back. He tolerates his work, but he's not terribly passionate about it. But if I look over his journey, if he, you know, from what he's described, he has redlined and hustled to build a really robust property portfolio, really squirreled and saved, shopped around to get the best loans, really done his research and due diligence on where he should invest and what he should buy. Then he saw the writing on the wall uh, a year or so ago where he realized that although he had a reasonably good property portfolio, when he looked at the kind of the forecasting of where his passive income was likely to be, he realized he was still decades away from the sort of financial freedom that he needed in order to let go of his active income. And what he describes is that what he wanted more than anything else was that exact thing. He wanted that freedom to step away from work and just be with his family. So what was really fascinating was that that was the point in time about a year or so ago where he took very bold action. He decided to sell up a good percentage of his assets and just free up the capital so that he could then explore other opportunities. So for the sake of making this case study you know, relevant, let's call it a million dollars. He freed up about a million dollars cash and then proceeded to put the whole lot on red um, and Obviously, that's a a metaphor for putting it all in one basket. And he achieved his goal very quickly. Now, when we met, he was very heavily invested in one 
single lucrative strategy that was in fact delivering epic cash flow, but they were very short-lived deals. And in fact, when I looked at the impact on the overall risk of his portfolio, it massively skewed it. Now, as much as I am a huge fan of alternative, I am also a bigger fan or a huge fan of managing risk. So from my point of view, it doesn't matter how lucrative an opportunity is. Experience has taught me you never go all in on a single opportunity. An example that some of you guys would be familiar with is this idea of investing in mining towns. So often if you look at the life cycle of real estate in a mining town, as uh, mines open up, as people flood to that market, you see real estate go from relatively cheap because often these are towns outside of major capitals and you see them spike. And in some cases, we've had markets here in Australia anyway, where, you know, property prices have, you know, 7 x over relatively short periods of time. Now, again, with the mining town example, if the mines go bust, if there is a, I guess, a blip in the or disruption to the price of resources or commodities, then, you know, we have also witnessed some of those mining towns go completely bust where essentially you end up with a property that not only is worth very little, but you cannot even get a tenant for it either. So as much as that was a very sexy strategy for a lot of people at one point in time, it pained me that lots of people went all in on just that strategy. And in the case of Frank, he was achieving the outcome he wanted in that he had put his money into an investment that was delivering cash flow, very lucrative cash flow. But he knew that the risk was completely out of whack. So when we got together, when Frank and I got together for our Blueprint Day, and just for those of you who haven't heard me reference that, Blueprint Days are where um, I have people come and spend a day with me in my office and we go super deep on everything that someone is doing financially. So the main goal is to identify where someone is financially, including an assessment of how effectively have they been building wealth to date? How effectively have they been converting premium income into wealth? We look for or identify opportunities to improve what they already have in place and optimize. Some of you may already know I'm a huge advocate for not rocking the boat too much on what you already have in play and then identifying the infrastructure or architecture required to bridge the gap between where you are now and where you want to be. So when Frank came in to do his blueprint day with me a few months ago, we went through everything that he had with a fine tooth comb. We found or I suggested that he didn't need to be taking such big risks with his capital to get the outcome that he needed. We identified the real goals that mattered to him and actually crystallized those in very concrete language um, with very concrete metrics so that he could actually put a stake in the sand and, and say, well, when those goals are achieved, then I will have achieved the sort of financial freedom that I'm after. We worked out all of the areas where maybe um, money wasn't flowing effectively, where he might have been poorly structured, maybe paying a bit too much tax. We looked at how his financial milestones over the next three to five years 
needed to take other members of his family into consideration, including parents. We kind of went deep on the risk stuff because, you know, sometimes there's a close your eyes and hope for the best and just jump that very few people can do, to be honest. But we explored how much risk he actually wanted to carry. And then we honed in on all of the strategies or a series of strategies specifically in the alternative investments backed by real property that were going to potentially help him get the outcomes that he want, but actually give him more stable, predictable cash flow instead of all of the high octane investments that were delivering extraordinary results over short timeframes, but could potentially hit wobbles and jeopardize the capital. So, we're now executing on a plan to diversify the same capital into a series of different deals in different geographies with different strategies, with different time horizons, different deal makers, where the returns are significantly more modest than what he's getting now, but which he can bank on in the medium term. So the thing that struck me as really interesting about Frank was he wasn't chasing returns at a time that he could least afford it. Because I've certainly talked about that in the past. A lot of people, as the runway to retirement becomes very short, go and take these completely left of field, high, high risk opportunities in order to try and bridge the gap. If he'd lost all of the capital that he put into that environment, he had time to recover. He was still young enough, but God, it would hurt. It would really, really hurt. And so on one hand, I, I really want to acknowledge and commend Frank because he certainly had the guts to do something that I think very few people have the guts to do. He's taken incredibly bold action and he's really striving for a very bold outcome. You know, he's really lucky that I think he's going to get through the series of high, high investments, hopefully relatively unscathed, and, you know, gradually move himself into opportunities which are much more, I guess, realistic and sustainable. So the contrast to that is probably what more people understand. And I'm going to um, contrast to uh, another person I know, another good friend of mine, and I'm going to call him Jerry. And Jerry is probably the polar opposite of Frank. So he has the capital. He has investments which he, you know, put money away into a long time ago. And so by sheer time in the game, he has created a relatively modest capital base. He is completely miserable with his current financial outcomes. There is absolutely no way that he would ever take bold action. He understands the opportunities available to him in the market, but he is paralyzed by fear. He operates from a paradigm of, I don't have enough. I don't know enough. It's not the right time. He feels completely stuck and he isn't prepared to take any action. He talks about just feeling you know, regularly overwhelmed by what goes on in the finance world. And so there's a little bit of a stick your head in the sand type ostrich behavior. He's happy to leave his capital in underperforming assets just because it actually just feels safer. And so when we catch up, the thought that often goes through my mind is it's insane, right? It's insane to feel miserable with the financial outcomes that you have, but not want to take any action to do anything about it. So obviously for me, Jerry represents a lot of people, the majority, 
And so, you know, I guess with this episode, I'm really kind of articulating the extremes. There's, you know, someone who's taken massive, to some degree, optimistic action, hoping to achieve the outcome, you know, really going, I'm going to shake this up because I really want to see some change. And then the other extreme of the character who just is miserable with where they are, but just won't take any action. So what we want to do is actually see the lessons in both of these case studies. And I guess the the first thing I would say is I think bold action is totally commendable, but bold action without a reference to a plan, without, you know, thinking about risk and downside protection is crazy. It's insane. The second lesson I would say is you also need to recognize when you are in a state of inertia, a feeling of powerlessness. Is it true? Are you actually powerless or is it that there's just a resistance to taking action? I think this whole thing of sticking your head in the sand and hoping that things will work out, thinking that government will take care of us, thinking that financial planners have our you know, best interest at hearts and the skills to get us where we want to go, I think is becoming increasingly naive. And when you talk or listen to people who are top of their game, you know, like the world's greatest hedge funds and things like that, they too reflect a sense of ridiculousness that that is the wealth model that most people subscribe to. The third lesson I would I would uh, kind of articulate from today's episode is that think about what you want. And I know I've talked about goal setting and creating compasses and things like that in past episodes, but I really want you to think about what you want from the viewpoint of be concrete. Don't be wishy-washy. If you have obligations to take care of your parents, put a number on it. If you have aspirations for, you know, the sort of financial support that you want to give your children, put a number on it. Cost this stuff out. You know, not only do most people have the burden of needing to work out how much money they need in order to be financially free, that's just, you know, we don't live in a vacuum. We have people, causes, things that we care about. If you have an intention to contribute a certain amount of money each year to charitable pursuits, put a number on it. But when you think about what you want, too many people are really wishy-washy about it. You know, they describe financial freedom from the space of how they would spend their time. And that's that's nice. There's, there's certainly nothing wrong with that. But to some degree, there's an element of daydreaming on that side of things. What I'm talking about is being concrete. Um, you want to set a stake in the sand. You want to think about the time frame you want to achieve it in. And then you want to lay the foundations for sustainable passive income through multiple diversified opportunities. So that's kind of where I want to leave today. I I really feel that these two characters illustrate the extremes in the current world as to what's available to you. You know, I commend the bold action, as I said before, but I think it's really, really important that you do it within the framework of something that makes sense. So my call to action today is that if you ask someone, and this is actually something I wouldn't normally kind of broadcast on my podcast, if you're someone who wants to understand what is possible for them, if you have built net worth, but the missing piece for you is still passive income, then feel free to reach out to me. I have a few, and they are really a few gaps, allocated times between now and the end of the year for these blueprint days. And, you know, they're predominantly for clients 
But if you are serious about wanting to take some bold action and turn your ship in a different direction, I'd love to see if I can help. So send me an email, selena at incosiwealth.com and let me know about where you're at, what you want to achieve and how you see bold actions fitting into your life over the next few years. I'd love to help. Anyway, guys, till next time, take care, stay safe and look forward to connecting on the next episode. You've been listening to the Alternative Investing Podcast. If you're feeling frustrated that despite doing everything right in the property investing playbook and you're no closer to financial freedom, then head on over to incosiwealth.com to learn more about how you can use alternative investments to catapult your investing income and blend strategies to shave decades off your timeline to financial freedom. See you on the next episode.